My name is Richard Krausen. Um, I'm the church planning intern here at Longview Point. Um, my wife and I will be planning a church in Sioux City, Iowa in about 10 months. And we are excited about it. As a matter of fact, we're taking a, a trip up there, leaving tomorrow morning at about 4 o'clock. We expect uh, warm conditions of about 20 degrees and snow on the ground. So pray for us. And actually, kind of ironically, um, the last time I had an opportunity to stand up on this stage was three years ago today. I got married. So my, my wife, Amber, could not be here today on her anniversary, unfortunately. Uh, but so it's a happy day all around. Um, I'll open us up with a word of prayer, and then we can get into the word. Bow our heads. Father God. I want to thank you for this chance to come and to teach your word here um, at a church that has, uh, over the years, been so much uh, to me. Um, I pray that uh, that um, you hide me behind the cross and that your word will radiate out um, to all of us tonight. Christ, I pray. Amen. We're going to be in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to give a warning. We have no multimedia. I'm sorry. For us uh, people my age that we thrive on things like this, we have to go old school. If you have your Bible, the little book we bring, we have to use it. <laughs> um, you have it on your phone, that's fine. But we have, no, we have no outline or no multimedia to look up on the verses today. So we'll have to look, uh, look, at, look at actual scripture this, uh, this evening in your Bibles. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 working out of verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to go ahead and just read the, uh, read the verses out to you. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was, or I, or they, so we preach, and so you believe. If you were to take a tour of, uh, of Europe today, or um, ma- even major urban centers in the United States, you would find that even today, the most beautiful buildings you would see in those cities, in those exotic towns in Europe, would be the churches. Um, when I was a little kid, we took a trip to New York City, and I remember seeing Statue of Liberty. I remember seeing, of course, the time I was a kid, the World Trade Center, which was no longer there, or the Empire State Building. But I remember taking a tour of all the older, mainly Roman Catholic churches that were throughout New York City, and 
you go in, they were made of gold and they were made of marble and they were just incredible. They were, they were so uh, uh, ornate. You look at the ceilings and, and they would be a rotunda. I mean, a round roof and the paintings would be so intricate. And I'm just thinking, back in my, my little church I grew up in, we were lucky to have pads in the pew. <laughs> and these things were immaculate. It was incredible. And from what I've heard, I've never been there much. They say in Europe it's even more amazing because you take those same churches and add three or four hundred years of history on them and they're even more beautiful but in those churches uh, what we what you have seen is that these churches on the outside are are beautiful but but today most of them aren't even churches they're they're museums they people pay admission to come and take tours and at one time many of these churches had congregations that would come and hear the word of god preached and take communion and they would sing about how great jesus is but but now, today, they, most of them don't even exist as an active body. See, these churches were beautiful on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. Today, you would hit these, you would go to these different landmarks, and what you would see would be the shell of once great churches. But they'd look great. But inside, today, there would be nothing. When you come to this book, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians... The church at Corinth is best described as a church that on the outside looked incredible, when the inside was basically dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, you are without need of anything. He says, you are without need of anything. That you have all the resources you need, you have all the people you need. He says, he commends them for being so gifted. He says, you have much to praise God for. Many of us have been like that, right? We have much to praise God for, but we end up turning it into using it for the flesh instead of for God. Anyone ever done that? I have. And as he goes and dresses this church, he starts tackling major issues. This church at Corinth had issues like lawsuits, not one or two. I mean, a, a huge myriad of lawsuits between people in the church that would have the most common grievance against one another and instead of meeting together in the body of Christ to work it out they would take their their lawsuits they would take their issues to the secular court and drag the name of Jesus through the dirt you had that you had an issue where a man was caught in egregious sin having having an affair with someone in his own family and people in the church sort of thought it was amusing. and didn't even deal with it. At that time, when you would go to the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, he addressed it. When you would go to the Lord's Supper at that time, it wasn't like us where you just take in the juice and the cracker. They would have full meals together. Baptists should do that, amen, right? <laughs> you know, the Baptist church, I guess. But people would come to that meal drunk and would not even fellowship with their fellow believers. You probably are most familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Ever heard of that, the love chapter, right? Your Hallmark cards, right? <laughs> uh, love is patient, love is kind. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. And what it really is, is it's not so much the love between a man and woman in a, in a, in a marriage relationship or even a husband, I mean, a father and, or mom to child. It's love between people in the congregation is what he's addressing. The church had completely... Uh, 
gotten to the point where they were disintegrating and they lacked complete unity. So Paul says in chapter 13, you guys miss one thing, love. He says you sound like a clanging cymbal. <laughs> uh, in this church, they had people who were who would think that they were great leaders, and they would just, in the middle of a worship service, y'all, stand up and try to preach while the preacher's preaching. Can y'all imagine that? A Sunday morning, Wade Humphrey's up here just throwing down the Word of God, and somebody sent up and say, I got something better to say. Y'all would laugh him out, wouldn't you? Amen? I would. In that church, you know what they would do? They would start going with the people who were challenging the talented preachers, and dissension was breaking out. In other words, if you walked in this church, you would do a 180 and walk right back out. That's what's happening. Matter of fact, Paul wrote three really long letters. Two of them are to this church. <laughs> they were knuckleheads. Plain and simple. He gets in chapter 14, addresses some theological issues that are going on, and he gets to chapter 15. That's where we're working out of the night. And it's amazing. We're going to look at it, and I've already I spent a lot of time in prayer. I've been very anxious about this because I know I don't have the vocabulary uh, or the ability to, to convey um, what Paul's saying here. So I'm just going to do my very best, y'all, all right? So chapter 15, it says this. Look, look at the text. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which you also stand, but which also you are saved if you... Hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he gets to chapter 15 and says this to these people. He says, look, you guys are crazy. I've already set that up for 14 chapters, y'all. <laughs> so you don't love, you're suing one another, you're fighting, you're arguing, you're just chasing wild leadership. He says, and he says, here's the issue. You're not standing in the gospel that once saved you. Look at this. In chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren. He's saying, you guys are Christians. But you're turning your back on the gospel that saved you. And then it gets, when it gets to verse, uh, verse 3, I love this passage. I, I love chapter 3 of, uh, I mean, verse 3 of, of chapter 15. Look at this, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also receive. Say first importance. First importance, right? Remember when I was a kid, you guys in this church, well, you know, my mom, mom's the greatest, uh, greatest mom anyone could have had. Other than my wife, she's the greatest one I've ever met. Incredible. I, I'm blessed. And you guys know her. Love you do know her. She's in the choir. She's, she's wonderful. I'm bragging her all day. She was not, she would, uh, she would give me a list of chores when I was a kid, right? And it would be basic stuff, clean your room, you know, cut the grass, the stuff. And I, uh, thinking I was intelligent for my age, I would go and find the, uh, the task from the list that would have been the easiest. Mom always had, a pet, ha- always had a pet peeve, is that she didn't like the morning newspapers left on the table overnight. They read them. I would read them too. You come in from school, gather them up, throw them away. That was the thing. Because I... I always did that. You know, watch it took 10 seconds. But cleaning my nasty room, maybe I got around every six months, right? Why? Because I wanted to do the thing that was easier than, than the one that was harder. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've given you all this instruction. Now, I want to get back and tell you what is the first importance. 
Stop taking the newspapers out and clean your dirty room. First importance. The first importance is you've got to get back to the gospel, church. That's what he's telling them. The title of this message uh, this evening is Two Sides of the Gospel Coin. If you're taking notes, Two Sides of the Gospel Coin. When the Apostle Paul says that, that something is of first importance, he's, he's making a, a point to tell us what? To tell us what I'm about to say to you is something you must not only take note of, but you must make it as the highlight of your life. It's going to be out of sight of how important it is. It's of first importance. In this church, the Apostle Paul has disciplined them for so many things. So many things that if one of these things happened um, in most churches, the church would disintegrate and split into different factions. So issues this church had to deal with. But he says that the greatest issue is that they have forgotten the gospel. And what we're going to see is Paul lays out on purpose, intentionally, very detailed, what the gospel is on two sides of the same coin. First, we are going to see the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel. Then we're going to see the character of the gospel. They're the same. You, you have to have the content of the gospel. You have to know the right things in order to be saved. Amen? Right? But you have to have the character of the gospel in order to give the content credibility to a lost and dying world. And Paul, in addressing this church that's been so wicked, he's going to address both of, the, both of these. It comes in verse 3. He says, uh, For I delivered up to you, first importance, what I also received. Now watch this. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. They appeared to Cephas, it may say Peter in your translation, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. So he's telling this church, he says, you've forgotten the gospel. The first thing you need to remember, church, if, 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 if he's telling the church, if you're going through all this chaos, you need to get back to the content of the gospel. And the first thing of the content of the gospel is that the Story of the resurrection is true because it's found in the scriptures. It's found in the scriptures. He says Jesus Christ risen from the dead according to what? According to what just Paul having to say? No. According to what the Bible says. Understand this, guys. Why does this church preach the Bible? Why does this church want to plant churches that preach the Bible? Why does this church go over, have, send their pastor over to India to go train pastors to do what? Take a while, guess. Preach the Bible. You know why? Because according to this book, our Savior is risen from the dead. Amen? What I love about the Christian faith, among other things, is that it's based around a historical truth. Let me ask you this. If somebody comes to you and says, I am God, how seriously do you take them? Oh, come on, folks. Someone walked in here and said, I am God. How seriously would you take them? Not at all. Oh, I hope not. 
Well, you take them seriously, but not in a positive way, right? <laughs> I mean, who have done that? People like Charles Manson. People think Hitler thought so. People think Stalin thought so. People generally who were a bit antisocial thought they were God, right? When Jesus Christ claimed to be God, he, he said, he, he said, he said, I'm the I and the way, the truth, the life. No one goes as far but through me. I am the bread of life. I am the king of kings. When he proclaims that, it wasn't just hollow words. It was according to the scriptures proven because he was buried and he was raised. And according to the scriptures, he was raised again on the third day. So we would have hope in heaven with him. Because according to the word of God, it is a historical fact what happened on the cross and on Calvary. So when you go to this church at Corinth, and listen, listen, even though I know this church pretty well, I know it's not a church like Corinth, but I also know this. Humanity, people in this room, and people who may, if we tape this, hear this, a lot of us have lives that look like a church at Corinth. We have lives where relationships are being disintegrated. We have lives where, where, we, we, where you lie and you, you cheat and, and you hide sin and, and, and you claim Christ but you don't live like it. What you've got to remember is this, is that the truth of the Scriptures proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the greatest reality we can know. Because here's what it says, right? It says, it says, that we cannot save ourselves, what the Word of God says. We cannot save ourselves. So we had to send a Savior. So what that means is this. I look at Richard Krause and can look in the mirror all the time and know of his frailties, and I have a ton of them. Know of my sin. I'm uh, glad their multimedia is down so we can't showcase a video of all the sins I've ever committed in my life. There's only one who knows it, and it's God. And according to the Scriptures, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, and he paid for all of my sin. Think about your own lives. Think about in your life how, how uh, times God has, has intervened with his glory and his beauty and his wonder and just how incredible he is because he's blown your mind with just, just the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's changed how you feel, and he's changed how you think, and he's changed how you see the world. Amen? I know people in this church who have committed their lives to go halfway around the world to, to tell people about Jesus. I know people in this, in this, in, in this church who, um, who, are, who commit their life to go plant churches 20 hours away. Not just us. There are a lot of crazy nuts out there doing it. You know why? Because Jesus matters. Because according to the Scriptures, He has given us life. And even when you're someone who looks like a Corinthian, when your life is in complete chaos, when your life is completely ungodly, if you believe in the gospel, you can always return to the fact that your sins have been forgiven according to the scriptures. Going forward here, it says, now look at this, verse 5, and then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep, which means they, they've died. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. I love, um, you guys love the CSI shows, you know what I'm talking about? 
You know the, the, all the crime scene investigate one? Come on, everybody loves those. You know, you watch a show, and they've got, like, this crime that is impossible to figure out. They get, like, three clues. They go back to the lab, type in the computer, and a name pops out. <laughs> they, they solve this unsolvable crime within an hour, right? I mean, I love watching these CSI shows. When I was a little kid, do you guys remember the show Murder, She Wrote? You guys remember the show Murder, She Wrote? With Angela Lansbury? I'm showing, showing my age here, aren't I? I'm showing what a nerd I am. That was my favorite show. It was on Sunday nights after church. I'd run home and watch uh, the church across the street from my house, so it wasn't hard. It was uh, Murder, She Wrote, right? And always, the beginning of that show, they always had a scene that was the climax of the show they would show first. And I always want to make sure that I covered my eyes because I didn't want to know anything about the show because I wanted to be able to solve it. I never could. She could solve it like this every time. Because she would go through and she would do her investigation and she'd put clues together and she would talk to one person and she'd make a link to a conversation she had six months ago and put together all in like 20 minutes. And you're like, wow, didn't realize Hollywood wrote it that way. She would go and she would talk to a million people. And by the time she was done, she had solved the case that no one else on earth could have. I don't know how one woman could be involved in so many murders in a lifetime, never commit one. I have no idea. That's a different, that's a different sermon. But she would do her homework, and at the end, she would put the pieces together and figure out, you know what? I know the truth is. You did it. What Paul says to this church at Corinth, he says, look, if any of you are questioning whether or not Jesus is really who he says he is, don't listen to me. It said when he, look at this, he says that when he was resurrected, he appeared to Cephas and to the 12 apostles, and he appeared to 500 brethren at one time, most of him who are still alive, some have passed away. He says, you don't believe me? Go and talk to those people who saw the resurrection and see if they back up what I have to say. And guys, that's powerful. Because when you look at the New Testament, do you realize that almost every one of those books in the New Testament were written by someone who saw the resurrection of Jesus? And every single one of them had their life transformed by a truth they saw. Go through and you read about, read about the apostles in, or their disciples in, in the Gospels and see what their character is like. It was hilarious. These guys are fishermen, right? I love, I love, I love, I love reading the Gospels because I love, I love seeing how, how humans like me interact with our Savior. There's a story where three of the three of the disciples are walking down the road and they're getting in an argument over who is the greatest and who is going to sit at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. It's almost comical. Now I do this all the time in my own life, but I laugh at them, right? And what you see is incredible pride, incredible selfishness, and Jesus just just slams them for it. And I'm thinking, go, Jesus, because these guys are ridiculous. There's one time where Jesus comes to Samaria with the disciples. This is not a very well-known story. It's, it's in the book of Luke. He comes to Samaria, and they say, Jesus, can we just, like, rain down fire from heaven? And Jesus says, you've watched me love everybody. How can you clumsy oaks not get it? Look at Peter. Peter. Jesus looks at Peter square in the face and says, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Peter says, what are you talking about? Who, who are you? I'm not going to do that, Lord. I'm too great for that. And within two pages, what does Peter do? He denies Christ three times, right? See, you look at all the disciples, and they were clumsy. They put their foot in their mouth. They, they were just 
how could Jesus love these 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 peacebites? It's ridiculous. They'd have no friends in their life. But you know what? They see the resurrection. They see the crucifixion and they scatter. They see the crucifixion and they scatter. Because they know what's, what's come next is Jesus has been executed. Guess who's next? They are. So they scatter. But you know what happens? Jesus is resurrected. And goes and meets with them. And you know what happened then? Those disciples become apostles. And they go on to change the entire way the world exists. Why? Because when you see God raised from the dead, you have no choice but to change. Because when Jesus Christ was staring at them, resurrected, there's a guy named Thomas. What's he called, y'all? Y'all know? Doubting Thomas. And what does he say? He says, I'm not going to believe it till I see what? The scars on his hands. What did Jesus say? Well, here, check it out. Touch it, feels it. And what does Thomas say? My God. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected. He literally returned from the grave. And so what he's telling this church is, guys, he's saying, look, all this drama you have going on in your church, all this evil going on, all this fighting and bickering and all this stuff, you're forgetting one thing. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. There's no reason to hold a grudge against anybody. Why? Because after this life is done, if you're a believer, <laughs> there will be no more grudges. There's just going to be joy, Right? How could you be bitter against anyone? The only one who could be bitter against you should be God because you sinned against him, and I'm resurrected. He defeated sin, so you have no right to be bitter because Jesus Christ canceled out bitterness on the cross. See? So he's saying, if you don't believe that, don't take my word for it. Go and talk to people who saw it, who saw it happen. It's a historical reality. That's the content of the gospel. It's not just something you put on a track. It's not just some little saying that you, you, you spout out, um, you know, just to, just to sort of impress people or religious jargon. It is the greatest historical reality the world has ever known. It's not just the good news. It is the only news that matters. Why? Because the only news is going to last. And that is that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen? The greatest news in the world. And it's, the content is, it is a historical event in history. There are people who wrote about it, that scriptures teach it. And my goodness, in that time of the first century, you could walk up to somebody and say, tell me about the resurrection. And they, because their mind was blown, would testify. They saw Jesus risen from the grave. And so if you're that church, and you go and you talk to them, you go talk to them, your life's going to be just completely turned around. Let me ask you, when it comes to this, the content of the gospel, the fact that it's a, re- a reality, the fact that it's historical truth, the fact that it is based, it is based on Scripture that is God-breathed, every single word of it, has that reality changed your life? I don't mean, I don't mean if you're saved. I mean, this is being written to brethren. I, I'm assuming that. If you're not, come talk to me. We'll take you out tonight. 
But outside of your salvation experience, have you ever had the opportunity to see Jesus as he is? Not as we make him. As God in the flesh who came and literally died on a cruel Roman cross, who was died and was put in the grave for three days and was resurrected and changed the very way you see the world. Has that, have you seen him like that? You know why? Because the disciples saw him like that. 500 eyewitnesses saw him like that. The apostle James saw him like that. And that little, that little band of misfits that started in Jerusalem managed to get that gospel all the way to Europe and some folks in Europe got in a boat and brought it over here to us. Amen. I counted up, and that, that count right there, there's about 530 people mentioned there. That ain't too different than the size of this church. So what could Longview Point do if they ever saw Jesus as he truly is? Amen. That's the content of the gospel. There's also the character of the gospel. Look what it says here. Verse 8, and he says, Jesus appears last of all as to one untimely born. He appeared to me also. Me is the apostle Paul, and, and he's the writer of this letter. For I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Next is the character of the gospel. It's referring to, it says, Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles. And what he means by that is this. The apostle Paul did not see Jesus resurrected when the resurrection happened. Paul saw Jesus in the book of Acts when Jesus appeared in the clouds and knocked him down and changed his name from Saul to Paul, and he was converted. And a period of time later, he would go on and begin his preaching ministry. So Paul always understood that he was the least of the apostles because he says here that he persecuted the church of God. The book of Acts, it records that, that Stephen, who was recorded as the first Christian martyr, was actually executed by men who were under the direction of Saul or Paul. It says Stephen, who, who proclaims, this is in um, Acts chapter 7, he, he, he's proclaiming how great Jesus is, and, and, and here comes some angry Pharisee Jews, and they come and they stone him to death, the punishment for heresy. And it says that Saul, Paul, is watching it happen. You know what it says? It said he looked at it, and he smiled, and he heartily agreed. What he's saying, this is fun. Not only did he persecute the church of God, but he liked it. It's always, my dad always said it's a blessing when you get up in the morning and you love your job. Um, I've had that blessing working in ministries I've been in. I love my job. I do not think that if my job was to go and to execute people by laughing at them as they get stoned to death, that I would enjoy my job. That's what Nazis love. And the least of the apostles. Let that burn in real good. Paul was not a great guy before he met Jesus. He was truly the worst guy you're ever going to meet in your life. <laughs> and he knows it. That's what's amazing. Look at this. He knows it. It says, 
For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. Watch verse 10. Watch verse 10. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. He says this. I'm the least of the apostles. I did it. I'm guilty. I used to hate the church, and I enjoyed executing the church. I enjoyed persecuting the church. But you know what? The reality of Jesus Christ is true. He changed my entire character. I once hated the church, but now I'm humble about once hating it. I once was angry with Christians. Now I worship their God. I once rejoiced. And watching them suffer. Now I rejoice in suffering for my king. That's the character of the gospel. The gospel's character is this. When the gospel gets a hold of somebody, they're never the same again. They're never the same again. You take a man like the Apostle Paul, who is as wicked as you could imagine, Christ gets a hold of him, and he's been humbled to realize just how evil he was. And look what it says. But I am labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He says this, not only did Jesus change the way I think and feel about God, or think and feel about the church, but he changed me in such a way where now I labor, I work harder, I serve him more, I push for the gospel more, I advance the gospel to places that's not been heard more than the rest of the apostles. You know why? Because I just know how wicked I once was. I know how blind I once was. Now I see. I know how true he was because I know how evil I was, and he changed my life, and I got nothing to do but to serve him. That's the character of the gospel. When the gospel gets a hold of somebody, they are completely transformed to the point where they are opposite of how they once were. It says, whether this, excuse me, verse 11 it says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. He says, Corinth, he said, Paul once came to the church of Corinth, as well as other men who Paul discipled. He says, I came to you with this gospel. I preached it, you believed it. Other men are with me, preached it, and you believed it. And that gospel is rooted in two things. It's rooted in content. The gospel that is preached and taught, read in scriptures. You can go talk to those people who were there as well as character. You once knew me. I was a murderer. I enjoyed watching Christians suffer. Now I'm taking this gospel and I'm going all the way to Spain. That's where he wanted to go. Why? Because I've seen Jesus and he is good. Content and character of the gospel are two sides of the same coin. Here's what I mean, guys. If you go through and you read the New Testament, there's a lot of times the gospel is proclaimed through great theological content. The whole book of Romans. The whole book of Romans is about how Jesus Christ transforms someone. talks about sanctification, justification, glorification. Incredible. Read it. I recommend it. Great book. The truth is you cannot be saved unless you know certain things. You have to know that God is real. Jesus is God. He literally lived. He literally died on the cross. He was literally resurrected. And if we believe in him, we have forgiveness of sins now and forever. And that's the gospel. That's content. 
Uh, I've met people now in the church, younger people usually, but not always, who think the gospel is everything. If I go out and I, I serve the poor, and I pass out food, that, that I'm doing the gospel. Well, go feed the poor. I, I love it. I've heard people say, and it's an old saying from the Middle Ages, that, that preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Guys, the gospel involves words always. Always. If you want to preach the gospel, you have to give the message to people that this is news. Herald the news of the gospel. It has to have content to it. It has to have truth to it. It has to have, it has to have fact in it. You're not saved just because you believe in God or you go to church. You have to have your life rooted in the, in the, in the, true, in the truth that's found in Scripture that is, that is spoken of in the Scriptures as well as written about by those witnesses. You have to. That's the truth of the gospel. There's also the character of the gospel, right? I know people who will come to me and will say, man, I believe the God. I believe the Bible. I believe in Jesus. Lives are full of racism. Lives are full of hate. Lives are full of animosity. Lives are full of anger. Lives are full of frustration. They show no fruit of the Spirit. Do not say you're saved. Because you have no character of the gospel. It's not taken root of you. It's not, it's not been buried into you where Jesus Christ has opened up the eyes of your heart so you see how wonderful he is. The content of the gospel leads to character. And the character points to the content. You have to have both. It's two sides of the same coin. One, don't say I have character without content. I live a good life. I just don't believe in Jesus. Wrong. Nobody's good. And don't say I believe the right things. I just, I, I just don't feel like I have to obey all the Scripture. Wrong. If you believe the right things, you're going to do the right things. No one's perfect. We still struggle with sin. But in your heart, you're going to want to obey God. Two sides of the same coin. There's going to be a time, guys, when Jesus Christ is going to judge humanity. And Jesus explains this. <clears throat> he says there's going to be a time, uh, he, he says there are people who are going to come to him and they're going to say, Jesus, I, we, Master, we perform great miracles in your name. We, we did great deeds in your name. We've been really good. Um, we've been good. Please, please listen to heaven. And Jesus says, depart me for I never knew you. Depart from me for I never knew you. There's a man who's very rich, and he goes to Jesus, and he says, um, what must I do to be saved? And he says, uh, he says well... He says, do you honor your father? I do that. Do you honor your mother? Yeah, I do that. I'll tell you what you do. You're very rich. Why don't you go um, and sell everything you own and then follow after me? And it says, because he owned so many riches, because he was so wealthy, he left in despair because he knew he could not follow him. Because why? Because even though he thought he believed the right things, the content of the heart of following Jesus as Lord wasn't there. So he left unsaved that day. Content, character. Content, character. You have to believe the right things. 
and you have to show the fruit of salvation.